Welcome to episode 6 of The Business We've Chosen. Today's episode features Scoot, a longtime gambling Twitter member and a professional better specializing in basketball. Scoot, welcome to the pod. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. So um, the reason we got a question on Twitter from Subtle Alterity, my, uh, my follower on Twitter, how, why we picked Scoot for the pod. And I actually heard from probably five different people who weren't even talking with each other to have a scoot on the pod. So for whatever reason, you <laughs> put up the air of being very sharp because a lot of people wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Um, but why don't you tell us uh, the man behind the myth? Uh, sure. Um, I don't know if it's sharp or just uh, I keep to myself. But uh, sure. Uh, I guess I've always wanted to work in sports ever since I can remember. So like the First thing I did on the internet was fantasy football with like random strangers. I was probably like 12 or 13, but I took it serious. Like it was the most important thing I could be doing. Okay. Um, so right from the start, it was kind of, um, I approached it very serious. Um, so from there, I guess I've always, yeah, I was always into sports. Figured I'd try to work in sports one way or another. I thought Bill Simmons was really cool when I was very young and I was like, oh, I'll be a sports writer. And that's a terrible idea. So, um, <laughs> I decided against that. Um, what were your favorite then, sports at the time? Is it like you were watching one in particular? Um, so my football dad, one? my dad and all his brothers, they went to USC. So when I was younger, I would just go to games before I even knew that I oh, liked nice. sports or liked football. So I was just kind of a, a USC fan from like the very beginning. Um, and then he would take me to all the local. So I'd go, I went to a Laker game. I went to a Dodgers game. Um, I'd gone to a Raiders game when they're at the uh, LA Coliseum still. So I guess he kind of got me into it because I was always just, it was always just on the TV and we would read the sports section, stuff like that. So Right. So what's after, uh, um, What's after just going to the games? When did you start like actually putting your own money on the line? Um, I guess so. In college, that was kind of when the poker boom happened with MoneyMaker. Okay. And so we would start playing poker games around, uh, and I didn't like to just play. I wanted to have an edge, and so I would go to the bookstores and try to find poker books and read and come back and like playing our game again with my newfound knowledge. And sure. um, I didn't know anything, but it was like, that was kind of like my approach to a lot of stuff. Um, so then I finally deposited money and had a very tiny bankroll, but I managed it. Like it was all of the money in the world. Um, and so I guess I got a lot of like bankroll management um, which is kind of a silly thing. If as long as you're winning, then the management's not too hard. But uh, um, but I took it very serious and was very like mathematical about everything I was doing. Um, and then uh, after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'll go to law school. It sounds like a sounds like something people do, which was <laughs> which not is. a very yeah, wasn't a very wise decision. But it was in, like, the law school library that I finally really got into sports betting. And I think the difference was with poker, you have to be focused and playing 
Like uh, you could play for eight hours if you have a bad thirty minute stretch where you're unfocused. You could kind of donk away all your money or whatever. Yeah. For sports, you could do all the research, um, and if you slept through the game, but you already had a bet on it, the game was going to happen whether you were paying attention or not. Sure. So I think I like that aspect of it a lot more. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and then I guess what, what you keep on going, when did you start kind of like making money? I mean, the way you described that, it sounded like you've never gone bust. You like deposited a hundred bucks and now you have millions or something. <laughs> uh, no, it was more like I deposited 50 and then I turned it into like a hundred dollars over a very long amount of time and nice. Um, <laughs> never really made anything on it. No, I what, never, um, what site were you betting on? Um, so when I first deposited, I deposited in a bookmaker. Okay. And because uh, they had, I believe at the time, they had college basketball totals that were up really early. Um, so, yeah, so this kind of gets into like, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really making any money yet. It was just like started following and getting into it. So um, I started getting on Twitter before it was kind of a thing. Um, and I found the SBR forum which had the RES service plays, like the college basketball totals. So, so the two things I was doing at the beginning were trying to like bet the openers based on like some hybrid Ken Palm model, which was kind of just Ken Palm's numbers, but I thought I made them all fancy in Excel and had come up with my own prices. Ken and Palm plus would, you being the hybrid, the two of you? Kind of. Well, it was basically like I thought I was taking his numbers and doing some fancy regressions and instead of his 150, it spit out 149 and a half. And that was like my number. So gotcha. I thought that was like very. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like might have been a winning strategy. I don't, I don't know. What year was this? Well, well, at that time, yeah, it was. So it was like 2010. Okay. So, uh, yeah, if you could bet the openers based on his, it, it was. Um, and then. So it was a combination of that, and then I would see the RES uh, college basketball plays that were on the SBR forum, and they'd already moved like three points. But I figured they were good, and they were winning enough, and I still had no idea like what this all meant or what I was even doing. <laughs> okay. But I was winning a little bit. It was nothing uh, life-changing, but I, yeah, I wasn't going bust, and I was barely increasing my bankroll, which I guess at the beginning is, is okay. So Yeah. Okay. Um, and how did you pick, I guess if you're like, how did you pick college basketball to start? Was it just because Ken Palm had the number and you knew Ken Palm and you thought you could do it with that? Or did you just think it was a soft market? Or I guess, how did you pick that to start? Or did you not uh, pick it? Just kind of random. Trying to remember. I, I think, I think it was because when I first started reading some of the forums, people were saying, oh, these picks are, are sharp. And so I would start following them, and it was like, oh, college basketball seems like something to get into. Um, I had read um, uh, who's the basketball guy, uh, Dean Oliver. So he yeah. had had uh, basketball he broke basketball down into yes, exactly basketball on paper. That's what it was. he broke it down to pace, offensive and defensive efficiency. So that seemed like something to grasp. And then with Ken Palm, it was kind of all at the same time that was happening. Um, another reason I picked it was I had read Moneyball, like a lot of people, that was really influential, but baseball, I had never really liked it, and it seemed like it was so far ahead already, like they're already coming out with all these stats, and I didn't even know what they were, 
And so I was like, baseball did not sound like something I would be interested in. Um, so I think that's kind of how I got to basketball and then college basketball that way. Okay. So it's 2010, you're betting college basketball, tailing some stuff on SPR, making some money, maybe not exactly Billy Walters, but when, when does, uh, what's like the next step or the next stage, next breakthrough, if you will. Um, so it wasn't really a big breakthrough in my own personal betting, but it was like, I decided this is something I wanted to learn more about and this is something I wanted to do. And so uh, after I'd finished one year law school, I figured out that RES had a PO box in Southern California. And I was like, oh, so they're local enough. So I emailed Edward and said, uh, hey, I think I want to do this. Uh, I'll drop out. I'd rather go learn about what you're doing. And I had no idea what that even entailed necessarily, just that like sounded more interesting and I wanted to do something in it and it seemed like they knew what they were doing. So uh, he agreed to meet me and then um, he hired me like after a month of like doing some remote work. Uh, and then because I had lived uh, locally, he, he brought the idea up, hey, I've been looking to bring someone to work like in the office with me, everyone I deal with is pretty much remotely. I think that would be like a good next step. And uh, I agreed. So I went and worked there for I think almost three years. Damn. What was that like? <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds well, it was quite uh, like it might have been quite profitable early 2000. 11 college basketball betting with RAS and a scoot. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, like, aside from the little bit I had in a bookmaker account, I had, like, $0 to my name otherwise. So I uh, just started there with, like, a tiny free roll amongst, like, everything we were betting. And then I realized if you can win and you have high volume, that, that really adds up, and then you can increase your bet size. Um, and so... Uh, it kind of snowballed from there because you realize kind of how everything works. Um, but I, I would say over like the three years, it was kind of a very, uh, it wasn't like from day one, I was just betting all of this. It was more like I was just learning everything and it was completely overwhelming. And I got like this crash course at like a really fast pace of everything that was happening in the whole sports betting sphere. Okay. Um, and was I, it centered around college basketball or were you guys doing other stuff? It was only college um, basketball? No. So they, they did college football, college basketball, which they had a service for that was like widely known and they put out a lot of plays. And then there was like a, a very small WNBA service, but I think it was postponed for a year or two. I forget exactly the timeline there, um, but that was like much smaller and I, that was much harder to do for obvious reasons but uh it was uh college football and college basketball were like the two main things we we did like on a day-to-day -day basis so what was the i guess let's do like a day in the life i don't want you to give anything away that's close but if you can day in the life of let's say like a an early college basketball game say like november 13th that's the second game of the season or whatever are you guys like what does the day look like in Southern California? Um, so college basketball, like on a day-to-day -day basis was more similar because you have 
the so the games or the rotations already out. The games go up on the board overnight, and then uh, that morning you're kind of going over the card and determining what you're going to bet, um, and then you're checking for. I guess injuries, making sure everyone that's supposed to be playing is playing, and then you're betting. And the betting takes a long time. Um, and then as the day goes on, if there's uh, kind of just staring at the Don Best screen a lot, so you see like something's about to trickle, maybe we'll bet this, or this was something we were thinking about betting, and then we uh, uh, hmm, how would I say? Uh, I don't know, you're just kind of accumulating bets throughout the day. And you I guess you start in the morning with like what you like know you want to bet and then you kind of add here or there depending on information that comes in and uh, different people that we talked to that we thought had good information and if it lined up with other things we're looking at, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what I mean when you keep saying we, what is the interplay like between the two of you because there are two distinct people here? I see. We uh, when I say we, it's like uh, they have a lot like of. What are you doing, or what is what are different people doing? Is everyone kind of all doing the same? Everyone's doing that, or was that what you were doing? Uh, so it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Ed. Ed ran the show along with like uh, uh, Mike Arias, who they've his name's been on the website, so it's like widely known. Um, so they were like the two main partners. Um, so it's kind of like they're make the final decision on everything that we're going to do. Um, so okay. when I say we, uh, there's just various people that are working for them that are, uh, so like I followed a lot of the West coast conferences because I lived over here and I was more familiar with it. So I would kind of maybe focus on, uh, the players and information from like a lot of the West coast conferences per se. So let's say that, uh, um, Let's say there's like a game tomorrow. It's a eight o'clock West Coast start. Pepperdine, Fresno State. Um, are you guys like? What initiates the play? Is it mostly like you know we've got one thirty-two for the total here, and it's at one thirty-six, or is it like we think this guy might be injured and the market doesn't know about it? Um, like, how much would you say was info-based versus maybe just kind of like regular stuff? Like regular modeling of available info versus unavailable info or semi-available. Um, so I guess kind of long-winded answer is like at the beginning when I was first there, I had no idea what we were betting or why. It was just, this is what we're betting. But when you so started had, working there, you must have, I mean, you must I, have I knew had a, a clue bit. about how to bet CBB or like how to price up some stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I would say a little bit, but it wasn't like I had much say in anything that was happening, I would say. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so we had, um, various numbers that were publicly available was like probably one thing we would do. So like Ken Palm at that point was still something that you could use. Like, I don't think you could just bet it blindly, but, it, uh, back in 2010 through when I was there, it was still like a very useful number. Um, so you had that. Um, and then, yes, it was, I guess, information-based as far as um, if we 
thought a player was going to be in or out that maybe the market hadn't priced in or uh, maybe early in the season um, we really thought that like the returning five was a lot better than they showed last year so at the beginning of the season that's a team we'd probably just be looking to back multiple games unless something fundamentally changed about them yeah so uh so yeah i would say the biggest difference with college basketball and college football versus maybe other sports is there's so many teams, so many players. So there's a lot of information you can gather and maybe early in the year, that's going to be a very information kind of based approach where you're making a lot of these subjective uh, adjustments about teams that are maybe hard to model or hard to, uh, yeah, I guess just hard to model. Would you say that the, when you got there, it's like, Hey Scoot, here's how the here's how we price stuff up here. Here's how we do things here. Like learn from us. Or was it more, you know, you kind of thought your own things, they thought your own things, you guys were kind of a, on the same page or was there kind of conflicting like I guess methods of thinking about betting or even between college basketball and college football, it's such different sports. Was it kind of the same sort of system if you will or same sort of um, ideas fundamentally driving the decisions? Uh, I mean, at first it was more, I was just kind of immersed. So I was just slowly learning. I didn't really have my own like methods yet. I didn't really like, I would think about maybe how I would model or do things, but I wasn't quite there yet. Um, but the longer I was there, that's when I started like using Excel more and trying to maybe model my own ideas or come up with my own numbers. Um, and then like, as the longer I was there, I would, offer my opinions more or say why I thought I liked something or didn't like something. Uh, yeah, makes sense. When you guys were betting college basketball and let's say it's like within an hour of the game starting and the limits are very full everywhere, how often is stuff like going against you guys or it's not really moving or are you guys adding against late moves? What was the sort of approach to like fading the market or was the market so stupid back then it didn't matter? Or I guess, what do you, was there anything note or um, anything noteworthy about the approach to late betting versus kind of earlier in the day? It seemed for the most part that, a lot of the stuff we bet would kind of just go one direction. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you guys didn't really lose very often. So it kind of just went one direction. And then like closer to game time, I think you have people that not that they, uh, they kind of just thought the number had moved too far. And so they're coming back on the other side. So you would see that. So you guys might bet um, Pepperdine minus three and it goes to five and closes four half or something like that. Yeah. So not so really going against you, but a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to take plus five and you weren't like thrilled about Pepperdine minus three to begin with, then yeah, you might be waiting and kind of just try to time it right at the end. So, I mean, we would see that um, if there was like a late injury, obviously that could change a lot of things. Um, if, if we were betting anything late, I mean, maybe it was like the opposite where we didn't like the game at minus three, but we were waiting for it to get to a better price and then fire like right near tip off. 
but uh, if, if there was like other things that were happening very late, um, that wasn't like what I was involved in. Like they, uh, it wasn't really like the decision making wasn't, that was not really like where I came in. I would say I was more involved in like the early morning, beginning of the day where I'm kind of offering like, I think these are 20 games I like and this is my reasons why. And then maybe we end up betting five of them because some other people offered their opinions and they agreed. Um, and if there's anything else that happened later in the day, that was like separate for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how does the sharing of the opinions work? Are you like, I mean, were you next to, were you guys next to each other, each on computers talking all day or are you in different rooms? Or I guess like wh <laughs> where are you guys sitting and stuff or talking oh, out all day? So, uh, so in the office, it was just me and Ed and we had hired someone else later for a little bit. Um, but essentially everything was just on chat online. So like, I guess now, uh, everyone's on Slack, but yeah, I was just basically sharing emails and or chat boxes and then just kind of forming our opinions and sharing info that way. So, and what was the typical, what time are you guys waking up? Cause I mean, I've always been betting college basketball on either, like I said, betting some weird times, but usually like East coast or central, if you wake up at 8am or you know, that's kind of when stuff starts moving or limits go higher, but that's pretty early on the West Coast. Were you guys up at 6 a.m. every day? Because you're also betting the late night stuff, I'm sure, the second half stuff. So if so, as far as I was concerned, um, on a normal day, I think I'd get there at like 7 a.m. And then I would probably be there till like 7 p.m. Okay. Uh, I did that for way too long, but I mean, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And there's like no substitute to that. Right. Uh, but if there was stuff that was being bet earlier, I wasn't involved in that. Um, that there might have been. Um, gotcha. But because uh, I, I guess there's like there's like a bet. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's like some obvious stuff that like you know is going to move or it was just really badly mispriced. So you just try to get whatever you can on it. And then there's other plays that you think the number is going to kind of hold strong. And so that's like a, a bigger bet you have, but you know the markets or you're hoping the market kind of is stable at that price. Um, so those like, I guess those would be two types of bets that would kind of uh, be different. Yeah. Let's say that you guys start it back up again, you and Ed, and the market, you guys, you guys have the same amount of knowledge as when you were there, but the market is now a little bit smarter and it's 2020 in the market. Is what you're doing back then you get you think still would have worked or has the game changed or have you guys evolved or i guess i don't know because i wasn't betting back then i've heard the markets were quote soft but i don't really know exactly how soft they were what would you say about kind of now versus then the knowledge you had then and like what sort of decay you would get in the return now if that makes sense yeah uh i think that's that's difficult to say. I mean, there's definitely things that that RAS did and still does as far as just having the resources to seek out a lot of info that makes what they do hard to compete with because, like, I'm only one person and I work with some people but uh, currently, but um, – there's just no way I can stay on top of as many things unless I got like way better at maybe automating injury news or 
stuff like that. Um, right. So there's value to a lot of that, especially early in the season. Um, can that work all year? Can it work today? I I don't really know. It's hard to say because like my approach now is is very different, and I don't know what they do on a day to day basis anymore. It was just like what we did then, um, and it was effective. But uh, I guess it's hard to say because I, I yeah I don't really know what they do now compared to like and, gotcha. and what I do now is very different. So. I guess, um, how, okay, I guess, well, I don't want to, is there anything else you want to say about RAS? I don't really want to, like, shortchange it, but I feel like we talked about it for a decent amount of time. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, I, like, I, don't also, I also don't want to ask too many questions to try to, like, I don't want to steal anyone's secrets or anything. Well, um, but I'm sure I it's don't... probably not that applicable from eight years later. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I'm realizing it's, like, harder to remember than I thought it would be. Um, no worries. But uh, How does your approach differ today, would you say, in ways um, that you are fine talking about? I see. So, so, like, I think this gets into after I'd been there for a little while, I wanted to manage myself and work my own hours and where I wanted to work and when I wanted to work. And so one of the big differences in how I got into NBA in part was that college basketball, college football, if you think of like a really wide, shallow pool, there's just so many teams and players versus NBA, you only have 30 teams, but you probably got to be a lot more detailed uh, with knowing the backups and uh, I guess there's just a lot more data uh, on every single team now. So it's a much more uh, uh, skinny but deep, very uh, detailed approach. And so because of that, I could do a lot more modeling and automating of everything I was doing. And so I think that was the appeal to leave is I wanted to learn more programming. I wanted to automate more things. I wanted to get more into modeling versus, I guess, subjective handicapping. And that's gotcha. not to say... They haven't improved, and they're doing a lot of other things. I have no idea. I'm guessing they are because um, you have to adapt and get better. Um, but I can like only speak on what I'm doing currently. So, so how did you go from? You said when you started at RAS, you were like tinkering around with Excel to now I'm going to bet the NBA build my own automation. Like, how did you pick up the skills in the meantime? It seems like kind of a big step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did, I did a lot in Excel slowly, and then I got to the point where um, I wanted to be able to scrape and automate more things instead of, like, copying and pasting into Excel. And so pretty much everything I saw online, it was R or Python, and I tried a bunch of tutorials for both, and it just so happened that R stuck. Um, and so I just went with it because, like, once I got to a certain point and, like, the learning curve and I, I learned everything I, I was doing in Excel and R, I didn't have to go back. And then I just stuck with that and then just kept going. So when you um, were working at RAS, were you, like, still following other betting markets at the time or were you following the NBA as a fan or was the life like you were just grinding college sports 24-7 and sleeping and doing nothing else? 
Um, so I was like trying to follow NFL with like fantasy football and like my friends, but like there's there's just so much you're doing in the college that I was pretty much uh, I had no idea what was going on in any other sport. Uh, I was no longer following sports as a casual fan and having this like kind of broad knowledge base, but very uh, shallow, I guess. Uh, it was only just college. So how did leaving RAS work then? Were you just like, listen, I assume it was amicable. He's like, whatever, yeah, leave. I'll keep doing my thing. You go do yours or? Uh, I'd say it was mostly amicable. Um, it's tricky leaving because like then once you leave, you're a competitor in a way. Right. <laughs> I mean, are there like non comp I, I have had jobs and options trading before where when mm -hmm. you get hired somewhere, they have a non-compete clause like you can't go work somewhere else afterwards it's illegal is that i mean i assume it's impossible to enforce in sports betting was there some sort of understanding like hey don't do this or don't do that or were you gonna bet c i assume you bet college basketball right when you left that was probably the yeah that was the thing knew. i knew most about so uh, uh I, I, the two things was were that uh i think i was trying to model and getting so my approach was was different I, I think i was trying to approach it in a different way and so maybe like i was looking uh the overlap of games we wanted to bet maybe was starting to be different uh, although although there's only so many games so you're gonna have overlap uh and then i also started getting more and more into nba but that was quite a learning curve because it was basically I had to relearn the league in just over a year. Yeah. Um, and I, I started talking to, from like being on Twitter, uh, being active on there, I started meeting more people. And I had, I had met someone at the time that was very knowledgeable in NBA, but they weren't really betting it uh, at a high level yet. And so I, I thought that would be an interesting challenge and i thought maybe that there was something i could do with that um and so that was another reason i figured if i, I got into another sport i was no longer trying to compete with them and what they were doing and that made sense to me as well if i was going to leave was to try to, to do something different nice that makes sense what was the learning curve like with nba was it did it take a while to start betting it profitably were you like once you leave ras you're printing in college basketball and kind of working um, on the nba model or was it when i left i thought i knew way more than i did and um i did very poorly that next season probably um i mean i survived and i made enough to to live but i i thought i knew way more than i did and um i realized having left a place where there's so many like opinions being thrown around and so much info and then suddenly you don't have access to that anymore and you're kind of having to come up with everything on your own or a process on your own uh you realize it was it was much much harder so i think that was that was like the big push to get me into well how do i want to approach sports betting now um i i need a different approach i need uh and that's how I got much more heavy into modeling um, because I no longer had kind of the info sources I used to or to the, to the extent I did.
And what is the, I guess in the NBA, what is the, the thing you're modeling that is the most difficult? Is it how the five players on a team interact with one another? How the five interact against the other five? How the, I guess, what was the, the main thing you think was like leading to your edge at the beginning? What sorts of things were you focused on modeling? How like did you uh, approach it? I'd say the most important thing day to day is just uh, knowing who's going to play and how much. So just being completely immersed in the lineup changes and who's getting minutes and how many minutes and um, just, yeah, I, I, that's probably the most important day to day thing. Um, and how much of that is like a modeling and automation exercise versus kind of reading the news and just like typing in 29 for someone's minutes? Um, I mean, when you say it like that, it kind of sounds a little more simple. Um, but uh, I'd say like that's the biggest like manual or subjective thing I do day to day is trying to figure out who I think is going to play and how much. And I, you can automate that to some extent. And I think as I've done this longer and longer, I think I've been able to automate that portion more and more, but I still am uh, not to the point where I, I don't want to be able to uh, input my subjective tweaks or changes in that regard. Okay, and then you're... So back then, and maybe now, you, once you know the players and how long they are, most things are a little simpler, or I, I assume it still gets quite complicated, some of the interactions um, between players. Or is that more of a, what was good enough to win when you started, and then how has that evolved as you've done this for the last six or seven years? Um, I would say up until maybe two years ago, I was constantly like tweaking and changing everything I was doing. And I was never at a point where I was comfortable with like what I had. And so it was kind of this ongoing process where I'm constantly trying new things. I'm constantly adding this, changing this, um, adding changes that I thought were good, but not back testing them because I assumed they were going to like improve. And then I realized, Oh, that was, that was a terrible idea. So then kind of take, <laughs> take two steps back and like like what what would be an example of a terrible idea can you think of anything? What, was, what was something i did um i can't recall off the top of my head um i know like for one example uh like with r and python they have a lot of the machine learning packages and i was like oh i can just throw all this into this fancy machine learning it's going to spit out a way better number i'm sure i uh, cross-validate it. it it's obviously better and not like kind of understanding a lot of what was happening and like why that number necessarily wasn't better or uh so i, I went through uh like for example there was like a machine learning model where if the game was played if you had the same two teams and one was home and uh, say you had the same two teams like you had chicago and brooklyn and they were playing a game in chicago versus a game in brooklyn i i would project like wildly different scores like even accounting <laughs> for home court and I realized, like, that's probably not correct if your scores are that different. Like, there's not going to be a 20-point total difference between playing in Brooklyn and Chicago. You, you never know. Uh, I mean, well, I, 
<laughs> yeah, I know I, what you mean. I'm... There's a lot of. Uh, I remember when I first started learning um, about machine learning stuff in like 2018. I read uh, that like Scikit-Learn book that is white with a red snake or something on the cover, and mm-hmm. it like teaches you how to code up some neural networks and stuff and get things running. And I like almost everything I've ever done that's made me money in sports betting is like very close to linear regression or something along those lines. I've never ever had any success with any of the uh, more uh, modern technologies, if you will. I think that's a a pretty astute observation um, in that like what you put into the linear regression and like maybe the feature engineering, if that's the correct term is more important versus the actual machine learning itself. Um, yeah, and I think it depends I, on the problem too. Like in some of the options stuff that I've done and like stock stuff where you can get a lot more data and things are a bit more random and there's less rules, um, that sort of stuff can, I think, be pretty applicable where in basketball, it's like we know the rules. There's teams trying to score. There's a shot clock. Like they're going to try and score points. In the market, it's a little bit more random um, where I have had a little bit more success with some of that stuff. But in mm-hmm. sports, it's just never seems to really add much. I, I think you can almost say a lot of the more successful stuff I've come up with are kind of fancy, complicated, but at the heart, they're just linear regressions. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So... You're working by yourself first few years. How does that process, are you still only betting college basketball and NBA during those? Or I guess, how did those first few years go? Sounded like must have gone pretty well. (laughs) Um, If your bad college basketball seasons are only winning a little. um, So by getting into NBA, it was kind of like, uh, I focus more on basketball, uh, so I would do WNBA as well, um, and then college basketball I did for a little bit when I left, and then I stopped doing college basketball for, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four years. I think I just, I recently got back into it, uh, and then I had stopped doing anything with football, and then I like tried to slowly get back into that. Um, but I've never had anything in football that I've really been happy with. So um, I kind of just narrowed my focus to just doing more stuff with just basketball. Um, and then just trying to understand the differences in data available and like what works in college versus WNBA versus NBA. And that seems to kind of be the sweet spot that I've settled into now. Okay. So now you're doing college basketball. NBA, WNBA, mostly basketball-related stuff. Yeah. And it sounds like the way that you approach each of those is kind of from the standpoint of these are all a basketball game. I'm going to learn how the game is going to be played and kind of model it from a very fundamental bottom-up level. Yeah. Um, And depending on what's available, like there's a lot more uh, detailed data uh, that's available for NBA. WNBA has some, and uh, I mean, you can grab the play-by-play for, for all of those, although with college it gets a little messier and um, you have so many more games and possible things 
to clean up. But uh, as far as like what NBA provides on stats.nba.com and just like what's out there on Twitter and what people are doing, there's just a ton of information and a ton of stuff to always be reading about NBA. Um, and I guess basketball in general. So you can apply it to all three, but then there's certain uh, things that work better in each sport. And part of that is the data that's available. How does the college basketball grind work right now where there's so many games, especially on say like a Saturday or something where you just can't like fundamentally model all of them. You don't know the players, you don't know the stats. So you kind of alluded to it earlier, but I imagine your college basketball stuff has to be quite different or have you automated it so much and you just kind of play it a little bit less size than the NBA and play it before tip, I guess, how do those so, work together? Cause it seems as someone that bets college basketball, it seems like it'd be very hard to do that sort of approach. Yeah. It's uh, it, it doesn't work. There's too many, there's too many games every day. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Saturdays are just, um, there's so many games. Uh, but the way I guess the way I got back into it is cause I quit. And I realized like that kind of info approach, if I'm working by myself, I can't do that anymore. There just wasn't enough time. And so as I improved my programming, I was able to automate more things. Then I decided I could try to get back into college basketball and see if I could do that um, with the understanding that if you bet at a high volume, there's going to be injuries that you just miss or there's going to be I don't know, some coach says we're going to play super fast for the next week now because <laughs> our center got hurt, and I might just miss that. Um, hopefully, so I, you're kind of fine I'm, missing it in college basketball and know you might yeah, miss it. Yeah, so like in NBA, I won't miss something like that, but okay. in college, I'm kind of okay with that just because I know the volume's so high. Uh, I've been trying to like build stuff to maybe – identify or flag teams that have gone under big changes for whatever reason it might be and then maybe look into that or be like okay i'm just not going to bet any byu games for the next week um the market keeps moving against me i'll look into that um and and maybe wait for the market to kind of adjust there before i decide to bet any byu games in the future something like that right um so uh, I think that's one way I've been able to follow college basketball without being driven insane. Uh, I also got some. I got some help. I have someone that started helping me with college basketball, and that was like a, to kind of help manage a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff, and that made it that made it okay as well. So, um, but yeah, it's too much too much on my own. So when you're doing the NBA, is that mostly on your own? That's not too much on your own? You can handle that? Or is it still you're getting some help from other people? Or are you more like just listening to the opinions of a couple people you respect or just total solo? What's your approach in NBA right now? Um, I, I do talk with uh, various people and get different ideas and opinions. Um, I guess at the end of the day, it's just whether I decide I want to bet something or not. So it's just pretty much up to me. But, um, but I mean, I think the more sharp people you talk to and if you find people you think provide value and have an edge and are winning, um, 
then those are those are good people to to uh, discuss sports with. Yeah. Um, I have a question from uh, Rick here, a previous podcast guest. What percentage of your NBA edge would you say is from subjective knowledge? Either something you're picking up while watching a game, some tendency of a player, a coach, or the market or something, or something you kind of leave unquantified but are subjectively adjusting. Is that something you think you do better than most people on or something you don't do or something you do a lot? I guess how much of that do you think plays into the final decision-making bets? Um, so I've gotten to the point where I have a number for the game and I'm pretty much going to go with that. Um, but I would say like early in the season when you have a lot of changes, players on new teams, um, there's different things you can do to like account for that. But I would say at the beginning of the season, I'm more likely to make a subjective adjustment on how I feel about a team. Um, or I, I guess what I do a lot, I would call it capping my own model where if, I'm constantly low on, I think like last year, the Denver Nuggets decided to just start playing super slow suddenly. And so my model just wanted to bet over for like two weeks. Um, so instead of necessarily betting under because I knew they were playing slower, at first I was more apt to just pass their games because... I could see the difference between like where the market was closing and what I thought the number was and the, the divergence, that's the right word, was uh, too large. And so I would kind of wait for the market to adjust closer to where I was modeling it before I decided to play Denver games again. Okay. So I guess that would be in one, one subjective way. Um, but it probably uh, doesn't happen a ton. Sounds like. I would say the as I do this more and more, if I have ideas that I think like subjective ideas that I that aren't being put in the model, I try to think of ways I can model that. And if I can successfully like backtest it and see that yes, it does improve, then and that way, I'm slowly putting all of my subjective ideas into a model. And it's now gotten to the point where I feel very confident in that number. So I don't need to do as much day-to-day -day, like adjustments like that. Sure. Um, but, but there are things that come up. I, um, that's, that's like one example, maybe. Okay. Uh, and there's ways to account for like a team changing because teams are going to change all year long. It's, it's, it's fluid. Teams are always playing faster, playing slower. Teams are always... Uh, seems like they're clicking. They got all their starters. They've been healthy for two weeks. Everyone's like on the same page, so they're they're playing really well. The market hasn't caught up to them, and so there's always going to be stuff like that. Right. Uh, and when you when you say like you've got your number and it's all good, is that to the point where like you hit a button and it says Denver minus four point three, or is there still like a little bit of stuff that goes into it, or is it literally like yeah, that's the number? It's 85% of the time, it's just pretty right. Um, again, as I've been doing this longer, it's gotten more and more to the point where 
I'm hitting a button and giving <laughs> me a number. Nice. Uh, and so you've reached the point that I dream of, where I don't do anything anymore. I just hit a button and the money appears. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, that, that there's a little more than that, but um, I, I guess I'm trying to get closer to that point. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so then today but then, in the NBA market, Chuck shoved asked this, our previous guest, how many people do you think, how many people do you estimate you take seriously in the NBA market right now that you're competing against? Like when you see stuff move, why, like I've never bet the NBA is that you see something move and it's like, oh, some guy's betting it, some guy released it, or, oh, I know this guy was going to bet it, or, oh, the number was wrong, or, oh, there's an injury. What are like the moves in the NBA market like, um, whether sides or totals? Are those things that you're pretty aware of why it's moving or not? Or is it mostly like this number's moving off fair? I'm not really sure why I'm going to fade it. So, um, well, first, there's not like a directory where you can just look up and see who's betting what. And, and uh, oh, so-and-so had the Rockets minus five today. That's, that's good to know. Um, but as I've gotten more and more involved, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> not a directory, a of, but there are things that are sort of like directories. Well, <laughs> I guess with the uh, the credit accounts, uh, there's it's a very small world. It's pretty incestuous. There's a lot of uh, accounts and info that's passed along. So you try to attribute it to somebody. Um, and so, yeah, some people I deal with that do a lot of the, the accounting side. Um, I leverage them to let me know who we think a certain move is being attributed to and what we think of it. Um, and for the most part, the, for the most part, the people that are moving the NBA market, there's not very many. And like when they do, they probably have a pretty good opinion on something. Um, and so generally would respect, that um, there's a lot of people I think in Europe that are a little bit more unknown that we're not quite sure of because sometimes you'll see a big move and we're looking at accounts and we're like we can't attribute this to anyone we don't know so there's just a whole there's a whole other world out there and uh, I have no idea and so like that that's always interesting to me I'm always curious like who, who's betting that right um, like or uh, we know there's three people that we think are all sharp or all on one side and it just keeps coming back. Everyone, uh, there's like three people that all like Miami minus seven. And every time it goes to seven and a half, it gets hit right back. And we're like, Oh, you're wondering who that is or what do they know? Or what are we missing? And so that's always kind of interesting, but gotcha. <laughs> okay. So sometimes, yeah. so I guess there's a couple people, you know, who are kind of in the market moving stuff. And then sometimes it's just, who knows how often, is there stuff that happens close to tip or maybe even NBA is so big, maybe even a few hours before tip where like, I assume the info is really good when things are moving. Like when you guys all like minus seven and it keeps coming back, I assume the seven half is good there or is it just kind of structural inefficiencies that just for some reason, some idiots hitting it back to seven. Have you seen uh, enough games to know one way or the other? I feel like, depending on the sport, sometimes I kind of trust the late steam versus not. I feel like in college football, there's a lot more unknowns that this, the info might be really good right at the end. The stuff that like 
gets skull fucked, if you will, right into the close. Whereas sometimes in other sports, it feels like someone might be laying it off or hedging or faking or who knows. Uh, I would say short of an injury that suddenly like you find out about right, right before tip off that you weren't aware of that wasn't public knowledge. Uh, I would say short of that, there isn't, I haven't noticed anything where, Oh my God, this line keeps coming back. They must know something or there must be way sharper than the rest of us. I, yeah. I don't think that that, that happens. Um, and then as far as the betting and the timing, I guess there's kind of a, you see a lot of movement early in the day. Um, cause you have, uh, you have all the lines that go up overnight, but if there's a back to back or any, anyone's questionable, then they don't put up a line. So then you get the early morning lines that go up and then slowly the whole screen populates. So once that happens, you do see a lot of movement. People are getting kind of the morning bets in and then the market is pretty quiet for most of the day. And then about two hours before tip-off, that's when you start getting all of the final shoot-around news, who's in, who's out, which questionable players are in or out. And then you get a lot of movement there. And uh, that movement is, I mean, that's perfectly fine as well, too, because a lot of it is reacting to who's, who's in the game and who's not. And so that that's perfectly uh, logical and reasonable to understand right. why a game might be moving, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and then, yeah, so that's probably, uh, that would be the uh, the other time where you have a lot of activity, so. How sharp is, would you say, the end MBA market is right now? Where do you think that in 10 years, what is the chance that in 10 years, you know, somebody, some idiot is hosting a podcast saying how easy it was to win in 2020? Is that possible in the NBA? Is there like something that someone conceivably could be doing really well? Or is it mostly like not brain surgery? The people that know most of this stuff kind of have a fair, they're all close-ish to each other and the game happens. Hmm. I mean, obvious, obviously this is impossible to actually know. I'm just curious what you think about oh, the I, NBA I... In, in specifically. I no, I understand you're getting at. Um, I I think it's 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 not brain surgery, but it's also very difficult. I mean, um, if uh, I would say so, here's a good way of putting uh, a good way to explain it. So after. After I would say like is that like thirty games or so, you have a pretty good idea like who's a playoff team and who's not and who is a championship contender or not. And so once you've played thirty games and you have a matchup that night with all things equal, they're both playing their full lineups. They are both on one day rest. This team is home. This team's away. The line that you make on that game is probably going to be pretty decent. Like it's there's not going to be a ton of very like variance to what that line's going to be. You can almost like come up with something pretty good. So in that regard, like I, I think it's tough. So um, I'm sure as there's more data that keeps coming out, people are going to come up with better ways to utilize it. So the lines will get sharper, but then 
people also improve their methods. Um, sure. Uh, right now, still... with that sort of tracking data that I've heard exists in the NBA, is mm -hmm. that something that high-end bettors are using every day, not using yet, not able to use, it's not useful? What is the deal with that sort of stuff? Um, the tracking data is available only to teams. Like, there's so much data collected per second that there's probably something useful in there, but how to utilize it is is quite a problem in itself. Um, I don't know for sure if there's someone out there that does have it and has used it to um, a successful degree. Uh, they did, the NBA did have tracking data that was publicly available for a short window and then they cut it off. Um, I think someone on like, there's like a GitHub, they stored a section of it for a certain amount of time. For what I'm doing right now, I would not need it or want to use it at this point. Um, but I definitely think there's something to be gained if I like knew I had access to it and could spend a lot of time with it and do something with it. On that same note, um, I, we've gotten a few questions about um, Haralabob. Do you have any, uh, and specifically, it seems like a lot of people have strong opinions about Haralabob. What is your impression? Have you interacted with him? Have you seen him in the market or heard he's in the market or the numbers seem okay or his numbers seem terrible? It's all a scam, I guess. Do you have an opinion on that? Is he a random dude? Is he the ultimate <laughs> end boss? Um, do you have any hot takes there? Uh, so I don't know the entire backstory with the betting everything on the Lakers. It seems to be a very sore point of contention <laughs> for a lot of people. Well, let's move on. And I can, I know nothing inside info here, but I can verify that that is not a 100% true story. So let's assume that that's not <laughs> fully true. So, I mean, I, I, it seems to be a sticking point with a lot of people. Like, because of that, then everything else he says or does must not be truthful or... Um, but before he went to work for the Mavericks, he was involved in the NBA markets, and he... You, we could see stuff that was attributed to him and he did very well and you did not want to be on the other side of him and uh, yeah, he he did very well. So, um, gotcha. And what do you think I, was drive, like when you would see a play in the account or you heard about a play or whatever, was it something you usually agreed with? Like what do you think was the difference or would you also say about yourself that your stuff was also very good and you wouldn't want to be the other side of you uh i wouldn't want to be on the other side of me uh he did a lot with the first and second halves which i had initially not really ever looked at so that was very different so like he was doing a lot with that that i just never even considered whether that was stupid of me or not i, I don't at that time, I was like, I could only do one thing at a time. And then once I felt comfortable, right. okay, now I can do a little bit more. So I know he was always big into that. And I think he changed a lot of like how the books hung numbers for first and second halves. Um, but in general, 
I it was better to be on the same side or if you saw something and he agreed that that would be a good thing and um felt like I agreed with him more than not uh, as I did this longer and longer although I didn't like see or know what he had I guess when I first started that that was kind of a foreign concept to me so right do you think that the approach I mean the, the way I've heard how he bets the game is it's kind of like a possession by possession simulation of a game based on which players are on the court and then trying to predict the mm-hmm. game that way. Is that a way, is that kind of similar to what you're using? Or do you think that most people betting the NBA at a high level are using something like that? Or are there still people that are kind of like, I'm not doing this on a possession by possession game more. So these players are going to play these many minutes, get this many points, and it's going to be, close enough to the possession by possession sim, but maybe more accurate at a high level? Um, so I've never really done more, much with sims. And so it's hard for me to speak on that because I, I don't really know. Um, I think with sims, you're introducing a lot of complexities and uh, a lot of thing, a lot of assumptions possibly. Um, I would imagine that would be good for a lot of the first half, second half stuff because you're isolating when those players are getting minutes more. And I think maybe you can kind of drill down and isolate certain aspects of the game, I guess, how coaches' rotations are going. Um, So that, to me, that that seems to be one benefit. Or maybe with the sim, you can do a good job of modeling how a team might match up against another team in certain situations uh, better than maybe just doing minutes for all the players, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of agree where the sim... I think that sims, it sounds like it could be very useful if you had everything nailed down within a tight range. But if you have wide ranges on some of the inputs, it can give some... Um, kind of crazy sorts of outputs. Yeah, and if you can nail those down and you are really know everything you're doing, then then yeah, I imagine it'd be very powerful and and uh, I wish I could build that and <laughs> compare it to what I'm doing now. That, that'd be cool. So what do you think <laughs> the future for you is? How long do you think the current approach to NBA will keep proving profitable or you'll keep staying on top of it? Do you plan on kind of keep on going or trying new sports or I guess NBA is already the biggest that there is outside of NFL, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, NBA sides especially are, are, uh, those are, those are huge. You can, you can bet quite a bit on that. So, uh, and when you're betting NBA, is it like 50, 50 total sides? Is it mostly full game stuff? Do you do any of the first half, second half stuff? I bet more totals and sides. There's just more opportunities, in my opinion, or for my approach that I find out there. I mean, I've talked to people that bet only NBA sides, and they don't even look at totals. Damn. I do bet more totals. Yeah, I don't don't know about that. Uh, But uh, I guess my future, uh, just to try to keep learning things and try to get better, because I, I have no idea, like, maybe what I'm doing just stops working tomorrow. It seems like every Ivy League has a new sports analytics club that pops up overnight and got 
10 kids that already know more programming than I might ever know and submitting papers. And so I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll be obsolete in a few years. So I'm just trying to like stay on top of like cool stuff that's being published and put out there and try to learn and see if I can implement it in any way. Um, I've grown up my whole life playing soccer. So I, I love soccer, um, but it's, it's very difficult um, as far as betting perspective. And it's so different than basketball because you have three goals, four goals a game versus 220 points and 100 possessions in basketball. So I think that might be something interesting to get into in the future. Uh, the hard part with that, though, is all the games are like four in the morning in Europe and they're run the same season as NBA. And so I don't know when I would sleep if I try to do that. Uh, but I probably enjoy watching a soccer game more than a basketball game. So I think that would be kind of cool maybe at some point if I... Are you watching the NBA that. while you're betting it? You're like, you have the games on and stuff? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I... Um, yeah, I, I watch I watch a lot of NBA, uh, especially like early in the season when you're trying to like figure out the new teams and rookies. I would say as the season goes on, I probably watch a little bit less because I've seen every team or I know every player. Then um, the playoffs, so I'll, I'll watch a lot of playoffs because I, I find that really interesting, and you have all the adjustments and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, uh, no, I watch a lot. There's I'd say even though I've tried to put in as many subjective things, like there's just, there's no substitute for watching and there's just stuff you didn't know you would learn from watching that game. And so um, I try to just immerse myself completely and, and watch as much as I can. But there's like an injury news at like five o'clock and you have a couple games going, then you can't pay attention to those as much because you still got, the uh, the later tip offs to go stuff like that. But um, how do you, how do you think most high stakes NBA betters are betting the NBA? Um, are people mostly using the reduced juice on Matchbook and Pinnacle or others, or are people betting the just every account they can find uh, for people that are betting full game sides and totals? I guess I I don't have a lot of experience with like exchanges. Um, I think it's like uh, a lot of European groups are probably more involved in that. Uh, you see a lot more uh, books that offer reduced juice for sides. Uh, you're, you're not going to see a lot of that on totals. Uh, so I think it's probably a good idea to try to find places where you can bet sides at reduced juice if possible. Because um, that, uh, I mean, that could that's a big impact on your bottom line trying to Sure. Yeah, I mean, if it's minus 105 or whatever, yeah. Definitely yeah, easier. So, uh, and Pinnacle, think... most of the reduced juice sites, they'll deal like a 10 cent wide NBA sideline, let's say an hour before post. It'll be like minus 105, minus 105. I don't have anything on Pinnacle at the moment. Um, okay. And uh, there's a lot of 108 for, for Pinnacle sides. Gotcha. Do you want to talk about the glory days of gambling Twitter or some of the stuff you were able to learn from others back when Vegas watch and the Moneyline journal were running? Sure. I think just, uh, learning about that, the closing line, if you are not beating it, why aren't you beating it? And to uh, grade yourself partly on 
your, what you bet compared to the closing line and understand that if you are ahead of that, that's going to help you be – that doesn't make you a, sports, a winning sports better, but if you are doing that, um, that in turn means you are placing bets that are probably plus EV. So uh, I think respecting the closing line and understanding the importance of that, that was probably a very uh, key topic that I picked up on. Um, and then was that something that, like, I still hear people talk about that. And the concept to me seems so simple and uncontroversial that I don't even understand why anyone talks about it. But back then, was this something, I guess maybe the market wasn't quite as mature. It was more the wild west. Um, was this something that people would push back on? Like, oh, I don't beat the closing line because of X, but I'm still awesome. I don't think it was ever controversial. I think it was just a matter of if you found someone that thought that was true or that was important, then they they knew what they were talking about at least. They knew what they're talking about. Yeah, gotcha. I don't. I, so it wasn't necessarily that it was controversial. There wasn't like this alt sports blog talking about I don't beat the closing line, but I win, and this is why and how. Like, <laughs> there wasn't like okay. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of things were just foreign concepts or things I just didn't know were important or things I just didn't even know. So it was just uh, like educating myself on markets in general. Uh, and this so was back before the RAS days, right? Or was, was this kind of like, around this? It's kind, of all, it's kind of all at the same time. So I, I don't exactly know like when I first started reading what blog or what Twitter account at what point. But yeah, it was sure, like it all, it all kind of culminated at a similar time. So it was like, I'm learning all these things together and everyone that seems to be sharp and or winning is saying similar things. So these seem like concepts I right. should learn. Uh, yes. Master. Gotcha. Um, and were most of the people, what were those forums like? Was that uh, someone made a post and there are some comments or was there like a back and forth or was it more like, what were the posts initiated as? Like, hey, I bet the Warriors minus three tonight or this Twitter account's an idiot or I have 69 jokes or something? I, I literally anything you could think of. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you had, it's kind of like with Twitter and accounts. You have to filter and sort through a, gotcha. a lot of bullshit. You have some sharp people, some people that are just wanting to jump in every thread and give their opinion. You have some people posting uh just things that are completely unrelated but like they're just an active poster and people know them I, I don't know there's all sorts of things so um i guess the f that was kind of like before my time um so i was never like a very active forum poster gotcha. uh, it seemed like everyone kind of migrated to twitter at that point okay um that said, on the Twitter front, I actually have a question from um, from Rick again. Is there anyone who talks a big game on Twitter that you wish you could crossbook? <laughs> he said he thought you were probably too nice to answer this question, but I guess we'll see. Um, I guess I don't know. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people as far as NBA that are out like touting a big game. 
I think oh. everyone's scared of the NBA. It's like everyone I talk to says, oh, try anything but the NBA. NBA is impossible. Even baseball, you know, 80% of people say MLB is impossible, but it almost sounds like 100% say NBA is impossible. Do you find it easier than other sports or it's just what you've done? Have you tried others since? And you're like, I don't understand how people beat NFL or college football because it it's kind of seems like you are in the, the King's throne right now beating NBA. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I guess there's no substitute for just immersing yourself into it every single day. So, uh, I, I guess I don't know. Um, cause everything else seems so foreign to me. Cause I like, I don't know. Like there was an MVP list for baseball players. And I was like, I haven't heard of half of these players. Like how long have I just not even followed right. baseball for? <laughs> or yeah. like hockey, I can't pronounce any of their names. I couldn't tell you what team they're on. But like I'm sure if you immerse yourself and do that every day, then you probably know a lot more about hockey. So I, I guess I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I I just got into it and uh, I I don't know. I maybe I got lucky. I fell into something that worked because I kept trying different things and um, I, I don't even know what I'm doing now might not work next year. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Um, I mean, nothing's nothing about it's easy. That's for sure. It's just, it's just like anything else. It's a lot of time and effort and work and right. there's not really any substitute for that. So. Gotcha. Um, when you, I remember, um, a website that I read maybe a couple articles off when it first came out, that cleaning the glass website by that guy who used to work at an NBA team. Was yeah, that Benfold. was that something that you would consult? That sort of analysis that seemed very qualitative, obviously done by someone who could do quantitative, but he was choosing to augment it. Is that sort of analysis something you're doing or is it kind of different than that? Um, I mean, I think, he has a lot of really good information. I subscribe to a site. Um, I try to subscribe just to anything I think might be of value because like for the monthly cost, if it leads to like one good bet, then it was worth subscribing to. So um, I try to follow and subscribe to as like many things as I think might have value. Uh, he seems really sharp. He has some good stuff on there. Um, I, I do use it. I wouldn't say like because I subscribe to him, I'm winning or I've changed my methodology sure. it's just kind of decent of news to consume um but he does have really good stuff and i think uh yeah i think it's all value and i i like what he's doing and he has like a good clean layout it's it's uh well thought out he obviously spent a lot of time with it um and so i yeah i think i think it's good and um there there does a, there's definitely a disconnect with gamblers and maybe i don't know i don't think he would fall into this but like academic types or just some really smart people and like i don't quite understand why but there's people that could possibly seem like they would be like the best sports players in the world and yet like you talk to them about betting concepts and it just doesn't register and I don't quite get why that is but there seems to be a big disconnect with a lot of really smart people because I it's like a little bit of imposter syndrome like I don't have this PhD in in this statistics and whatever 
but I'm betting sports versus these other people that seem like they should be way more qualified to do what I'm doing. Um, and I realize there's differences and reasons why, but I, I've never quite grasped that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen or... I mean, I think you get, you get a lot of this in options trading too, where you'll get someone who's a PhD from an Ivy League school. And I think it, in both, the reason is that the prediction part and the what's the number and what's the outcome is a portion of it is maybe 80%. But there's also like you're part of the market. The market fundamentally is people just doing stuff in it. So if you don't understand that that is, you know, you're not observing the weather, like it's, it's a thing that's happening and there's people in it and your actions influence it. And I feel like that's the big barrier to get over for people. Like understanding that if the line on this game is, you know, 215 and a half and it gets bet down to 211, like even if your model says 207, like maybe there's, like maybe you're good, but also maybe you're a little bit low. You know what I mean? Like I feel like there's just some really no-brainer common sense stuff that everyone who bets sports does, that they understand how the market works and that the line might be going the wrong way or you might be moving the line. Um, and some of the more academic types don't really acknowledge that that's what it is. Because I think that most of the people I know who make money betting, it has almost nothing to do with betting. It's more like, oh yeah, this is just a little bit off or this is off. Like I just kind of know what things should be and I'm betting the stuff that's a little bit off of it versus the high-end academic stuff might be like, you know, this concept about how these players interact might be worth one and a half points. But it's like, yeah, but if you also just had Don Best and looked at what line was lowest, that might also be worth one point. You know, like the there's a lot of market stuff that matters a lot, especially in sports betting, given how wide the market is. You know, it's like four and a half percent wide or whatever. I guess that gets into a lot of why sports betting Twitter often posts people's predictions, like in the media, that are telling you that this is what the line should be. Meanwhile, there's in a market that's showing you're seven points off. So, like, right. it doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> They're like, just start over and don't proclaim this to be gospel because it just, you look really stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's not to say I've never had something seven points off. And I, even if, even if it is seven points off, it doesn't mean I, I truly believe it, it should be that number, but I, I will definitely bet it. It's just, it doesn't mean I'll win either, but, uh, I also won't proclaim that that should have been the line. And so, yeah, agree. Um, all right. Circling back to that crossbook Twitter question. Are you declining the answer or is there anyone you see on there that you're like, I think I approach the game in a different way and they bet big. I bet big. I think my stuff's a little bit better. Are there people like that that exist out in the NBA market? It sounds like you are pretty aware of your edge, but are there people who are like, oh yeah, I always win, my, my model works, I just kind of bet it? Like, who are the fish in the high-stakes betting market in the NBA? I guess I don't really know. I don't, there's, I, I, I don't know, there's not like people out there that I see or, or notice that I think I've been trying to go crossbook, I guess. I, I guess, um, I feel like I've seen people touting in other sports that claim to bet really big and that if I bet that sport, maybe I would approach them. Uh, but I guess I don't really see that. Um, 
Yeah, I guess so, you're right. In the NBA, I don't really see a lot of people talking a big game. Like people, people seem to talk that in maybe college football or NFL. Yeah, NFL, college football, and then probably baseball. And I don't really see that in NBA. So uh, unless, I mean, maybe there's people I'm missing, and uh, Rick should uh, slide in my DMs <laughs> and let me know. But I, I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, who do you think is, let's say right now, there's some person out there that we'll call the end boss of the betting market. That is through ways, not just like bearding into accounts, but mostly through semi-legit ways. They're betting a lot of money on the NBA every night, millions of dollars every night. Is What is the size of the biggest NBA better, do you think? Is this some guy who's you know, getting down on four games each night and he got down 700K on one and 1.3 on another? Or what sort of size can you get into if you were the be-all, end-all and you were like, I'm, the number's good, obviously you're still going to move the market. Like what sort of bankroll could you work with here in the NBA before you started to get a little bit um, restricted? Um. I mean, I think you run into that issue with totals before sides. I think sides, you definitely can, uh, I imagine you can bet to your heart's content. I, I, I have not reached that state. I am very <laughs> far from that. Um, I think you can definitely get into like cross booking, like stuff like that. If you want to get down more on sides. Is that um, common in the NBA? Is that common in all sports? I mean, I guess I'm not high stakes uh, enough where I would really know. I'm not very like familiar with that. Like I don't personally do that. Um, I've heard that does happen. I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know enough to like to talk about it because I just I just sound ignorant. I really don't know. But um, gotcha. uh, I imagine on a nightly basis. I mean, I think people that are betting the NBA, they're not just betting like one game a night. They're probably trying to do pretty high volume because there's just only so many. NBA yeah, I mean, they're team. probably betting on the edge they got, right? So if you're in it, you're either in it or you're not. Like, there's no sense in like having my one play of the week because I think it's it's a lock. That, that that's stupid. I mean, not, no one that no one does that. I mean, maybe some Twitter accounts do, but um, you're trying to bet as much as you can because yeah, there's only 30 teams. So, um, but as far as how much people are going to, I I I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. Gotcha. Um, is there any markets you want to talk about at all? We haven't really talked about WNBA. I don't know if you want to talk about WNBA. Um, or Euro basketball or other basketball besides the two main I can talk briefly on it. I mean, the one good thing about it is that it's off-season. Well, I mean, it starts like uh, when the NBA playoffs are going, but it's kind of off-season in a way that like it allows me to follow it. Um which is good. I can kind of use it as a sandbox to tinker with ideas I have for MBA. Do the two uh, relate? You think is it that you yeah, can I mean, kind it's, of it's basketball? Okay. Yeah, there's there's things you can do. I mean, gotcha. The it's different. I mean, the the games are shorter and the, does the lack of of the lack of available data is that something that you run into in WNBA and you don't in NBA? Or are they both the same in that regard? They're not the same. So the NBA has like a lot of uh, stuff from their tracking cameras. So I guess the one distinction with tracking data is you have the raw tracking data and then you have the stats that are derived from that tracking data, like player speed and player miles 
and then like the pick and roll stuff that they can pick up on the camera. Okay, they so have, you like, could the... kind of get towards the tracking data without actually having the data. No, 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 not that. But uh, the the fact that the NBA has tracking data stat uh, data derived from the tracking data that's private, but they put it out on their website versus the WNBA does not have that. Um, right. Yeah, I was more so back to earlier when we were talking about tracking data. It you may not be able to get it, but some portion of it exists. Oh, so. So the NBA has been putting more and more stuff like every year they've been adding to like what they make available based on the, the raw tracking data. So they've been putting out more and more stats every year onto the site publicly. Um, the, the issue you run into is they're either giving you like game summary statistics. You got to adjust for who they're playing against uh, or who was on the court, stuff like that. Um, but they have a lot of that available and you can use it or there's... I mean, I have ideas and stuff I've just never done that I thought might be interesting to use the tracking data, or I'd say more of the tracking data. So the WMA doesn't have that. But, okay. I mean, you have all the play-by-play -play data and everything you can derive from that. So those both exist. Um, so that would be, I guess, the big difference between those two. Uh, the other big difference with the WNBA is almost all the players play year-round. And so they play in Europe, the whole uh, fall. Oh, really? Year. Yeah. Damn. And they make a lot. They make a lot more money playing in Europe. Why don't they uh, just play in Europe? They just do both. Why they, not more money? They play in the the WNBA is the the best league as far as like skills uh, and competition, and it's probably the most uh, visibility for them. Okay. And so either sponsorships or you have players like uh, like recently Kara uh, Lawson. She was a really good point guard. She's now coaching for uh, Boston. She's an assistant coach. But what she was doing is instead of going to Europe, she became a broadcaster. And so she was working. She worked for ESPN. And so she would work in the offseason in the U.S. Um, and so that was her way of, like, maintaining. Like, she had a kind of a long career because she was only playing in the WNBA. She never played. Well, I don't know if she never played in Europe, but she, I know in the later stages of her career, she only played during the, in the WNBA season and did other work in the off season. So I think that's a really different, unique thing about WNBA. Gotcha, uh, is that the players? So are there times when you're kind of trying to handicap this person's tired, they've been playing eight months in Europe versus this person isn't or something? Are there those sorts of disparities between the players or do they mostly all do the same thing? Um, I would say it's more that like this young player made a huge jump and so the data you have from okay, the last WNBA season is kind of behind the curve because right. they just played another six months and showed that they were much better. Um, I would I would say that maybe is more of a factor, but um, uh, but I don't do anything with the European data. Like I, I've looked at stuff and like tried to. I guess I would say early in the season, like maybe this player seemed to make a jump or, oh yeah, or you had a player that was injured. They haven't played in a year. So what, what do we do with them? Stuff like that. Right. So. That makes sense. Um, so I think that's a, a very unique aspect of the WNBA. Is WNBA, I guess WNBA versus NBA in a season, how many, let's say close to full ish or close to real bats are you getting down? Are you like, is it a hundred per season in the WNBA and, 300 in the NBA or what sort of bet count can you get in like a actual stuff? Uh, 
I mean, I'd have to go look. I, I have those numbers, but I, I mean, there's just more NBA games, so I'll have more NBA bets and less WNBA bets. So. Right. Okay. So just like however many more games there are, more teams, more games. I would imagine the but volume... both markets. I mean, I would imagine the WNBA market is easier to beat than the NBA market. Do you have a higher percentage uh, of games you're playing there? Or are they both about the same? I mean, it seems crazy to say that they're the same, but the WNBA market is a pain in the ass because it's it's actually pretty small. And it's pretty competitive. So you have a lot of people attacking lines really, really early. So people that have access to hundreds and hundreds of credit outs that they can get down 200, 250 at a time, that seems really valuable. Um, and then with the WNBA, there might be a week where like you have two games on Tuesday, nothing on Wednesday, one game on Thursday, four games on Friday. And it's, it's yeah. just kind of, it's kind of a grind because... I don't know, you only have one bet on this Friday and it feels like it's the biggest bet because it's the only thing you have going right. and then you lose <laughs> and you have to wait two days before you can bet again. And so that, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So, I don't know, I, I have like a love-hate with the WNBA where I've swore it off, I'm not going to do it this summer because like, I'd rather just have my summer to do whatever and not be worrying about who might be injured at the last second right. um, <laughs> or at this halftime. Uh, but then I followed it and know the league, so I just end up doing it again. But nice. I don't know. We'll see. One day, one day I'll just not do it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that are you on a day when, let's say, in July? Is that when they both would be running, or June, or something? Whenever they both would be running. Yeah, like or when May NBA or... and CBB are both running. Is that like too much or so much? You're only doing part of each or you do nba in the morning and college basketball in the afternoon or how do you divide that work that you have to do um yeah well i mean so college basketball when i got back into it i basically just didn't really follow the beginning of the season um and uh there's probably a lot of info i'm gonna miss out on by not like following it um but um kind of just get to the point where there's a lot more in-season data. So the stuff I am automating, I can trust a little bit more and I don't have to worry about some of those like subjective adjustments or this transfer that's way better than everyone realized that transferred to this, um, to this uh, big South school or something like that. Um, so by doing that, it frees up some time where I have a pretty good handle on what's going on in the NBA before I really get into college basketball. Right. So you, I mean, it kind of sounded when you were talking about the NBA earlier, like it doesn't require all that much day-to-day work or is that misrepresenting it? No, no, it does. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's all you do every day. So like once the okay. season starts <laughs> the end of October, they have uh, one day off, uh, what is it? Are they off Thanksgiving, I think? They're off, I think they're off Thanksgiving. They're off Christmas Eve. You have the all-star break, and that's it. So no days off. Once, once the end of October starts, yeah, that's, that's all. And unless, like, uh, a pandemic hits, and then, and then right. everything stops. <laughs> but so short, short of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been doing um, in the last few months? Did you just kind of take a nice little... 
break or were you trying to build some new stuff for when things come back? Or I guess, what is the game plan for NBA coming back? I don't really follow it. It seems like it's coming back in a little bit more than a month, maybe. Yeah. Um, so like in ideal world, I was developing all these great ideas and testing them and doing lots of coding for the models. But, uh, Really, I've done nothing. Um, I've, <laughs> cooked, I've been doing lots of cooking, and okay. I've drinking a lot, drinking a lot of beer. Nice. What kind of beer do you usually go with? Uh, Southern California's got a lot of good options, uh, but uh, like a very fruity, juicy IPA is what I would like. So. Nice. All right. Um, I'm bored with so that. I've been doing lots of that. <laughs> So just when the chilling. season comes back, yeah, just, yeah, just chilling, spending time nice. with my family and child, um, and that's been good. A lot of some video games, some catching up on movies and TV shows I had queued up that I was gonna watch one day, but you don't sure. ever get to them. So nice. lots of that. Um, so when the season comes back, all these sports, it's, I guess, my concern. I'm not like terribly excited. It's just gonna be this really weird situation they're playing these neutral site games they've had a huge layoff um i mean i'm sure i'll end up following it and betting it because what that's what i do but i'm not excited about it i think it's going to be weird and i don't know we'll see i i'll have a better idea once it gets going and then maybe at that point i i can be more confident or less confident in my methods but right uh, i'm not i don't know I'm just not very excited about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd rather um, just like take off and fast forward to like the next normal season, to be honest. Yeah. So the game plan, if they started a season, would be to just do a few games and then some playoffs or something. Cause doesn't the next season start already in yeah. October, like you said. So they're going to do eight games each and they're only bringing 22 of the teams back. The other uh, 10 said they're out or they only invited 22. That was the, the proposal was to bring the teams that are currently in the playoffs plus the teams that have a realistic shot to possibly still make the playoffs. Oh, so okay. nine, so they just got nine teams, teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they got rid of all the bad teams. But the, the problem with that is a lot of these bad teams have a bunch of young guys that are just not getting minutes. They're not having a chance to develop. Yeah, and so that's a lot that's of tough. meaningful minutes. So I think I saw an article. They're going to try to do like a quasi-summer league thing for the the rest of the teams, the I guess that's eight. Um, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. I I was following it like really intensely at the beginning, and then at some point I was like, just tell me when it's going to come back and what's right. happening, and then I'll figure it out at that point. So yeah, um, yeah, interesting. Um, do you think that the markets will be drastically different for this? if this season happens, this NBA season, will it kind of constantly be the wild west? Do you think like players will be sitting and stuff or crazy weird stuff like that? Or mostly will it just be regular basketball games? I, I have no idea. Um, yeah. I don't know if books are going to like take much smaller limits cause everything's just weird. Um, I guess if you're following it and there's weird stuff happening, then by following it, that can only be a good thing because you're on top of like what's going on. So right. um, I think there's a lot that remains to be seen. So um, I, I don't know. Uh, 
maybe I should be excited because of all the uncertainty and that that could create good betting opportunities versus being not excited. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm sounding like a curmudgeon. I'm sure once it starts, I'll be full in because it's all I know how to do. So. Yeah, what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, I've got a question uh, from KJ Hogo on Twitter. What's the craziest thing you've ever done to get information in smaller betting markets? Um, I assume that some of the RAS stuff might be crazy. Let's say maybe you on your own. Have you done anything? Or by the time you were on your own, it was more in bigger markets. Although I guess college basketball is still a small market. There's some of the crazy info that gets released in weird ways there. Um, this wasn't this wasn't entirely on my own, but at one point I started a blog and uh, providing actual information and was able to interview an assistant coach about their upcoming season and do like a full-on phone interview. Um, I did, a, I think, a couple... Uh, an assistant NBA coach? Um, just uh, not not NBA, but an oh, assistant college coach basketball. In, in another league. Um, gotcha. Damn. So uh, I did that. So you knew some pace change or something, or you were ahead of the market on something? Uh, uh, not pace, because every coach says they're going to play faster. So that 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 didn't help. Because every <laughs> every coach, we're going to play up tempo. We're going to play a, an exciting style this season. So that, right. I, As Alan Boston cringes listening out. to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, at some point the the college coaches the you can't really. Uh, you can't put any stock into their quotes. So. Got it. <laughs> Do you find yourself ever, maybe not anymore, handicapping like the college basketball info? Because some of the coaches do say nonsense and some of them are a little bit more truthful. It's kind of hard to read what they're saying about certain players. Is that maybe at RAS something you guys thought you were good at or just it's always been guessing, everyone's guessing? I mean, as far as the NBA, if, like, if I hear something or read something, then I look into the numbers and see if it, like, have they been doing something different? Is it, is it backed up by that? Um, and if it's not backed up by the numbers, then I just don't care. Um, and I disregard it. But, uh, um, I mean, I guess there's a difference between saying something ahead of time and then doing it versus saying we, we're in the process of doing this and then claiming they've been doing it for X amount of time and then seeing that the data does or does not back right. up their their claims so um i i don't i don't dismiss them but uh if the data doesn't back up what they're saying then it doesn't matter right um okay all right we're one hour 45 minutes in um you want to pick like one kind of final topic to talk about or is there anything you want to get to that we haven't i feel like i've kind of gone through my outline outside of if you have any gambling Twitter stories or degenerate stories, I guess since you started so early and you got hooked up with RAS, you probably haven't really gotten quote help from Twitter or you've kind of mostly known what you've been doing or have you met anyone on Twitter that you're like, wow, I learned something here or that I wouldn't have otherwise uh, known. Uh, I met, a, I met some people from Twitter in real life. Like everyone I've met has been like, really cool genuine uh there's like a lot of really interesting smart people uh, i think the power of 
the internet and Twitter is you could find people in such a niche market or area. So if like someone cares this much about this weird thing as you do, they're probably a, a good guy, good dude. Right. Um, so I would say I've had overwhelmingly positive experiences with people nice. I've met on Twitter, although there's a lot to filter through. So like, I, sure. it doesn't mean, uh, I guess I feel like I've been good at being able to assess who has value or that sounds bad, but uh, who, uh, <laughs> who, uh, who has sports betting value? <laughs> well, just someone that's not full of shit. Just trying to like, sure. out. yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's been good. Um, I think the other interesting topic maybe is uh, the advent of DFS uh, has changed a lot of sports markets because... Really? Which ones do you think? So so before, if there's... uh, Before being like 2012 or something? Sure. I guess I would okay. say, because like when, when I first got on Twitter, I didn't really get what it was. It was people saying I'm eating waffles for breakfast. And um, I was like, well, what is this? But I just signed up for it and I had an account. And then I realized slowly, oh, there's sports writers that are now on Twitter. And there's a lot of stuff that they want to add that maybe they can't write about till tomorrow, but is interesting and pertinent to the game about to be played, okay. uh, aka like injury information, stuff like that. Um so with DFS, I'd say the injury reporting got accelerated to a crazy amount because now you have every DFS player asking, is so-and-so playing tonight? Do you have a, do you know if they're going to be in or not? Where that wasn't really happening before. Oh, okay. Uh, so for the NBA, maybe specifically the player news stuff. What happens uh, in DFS if you play someone and they just like don't play? You're just fucked? Just don't play people yeah. that don't play? <laughs> okay. You, uh, you get zero points. That's going to be my DFS algo. Play people that are playing. I, I, I yeah. I actually, when uh, like when I first got into DFS, well, I never got into DFS, but that that was uh, that, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but when you when first had, got it, <laughs> so like uh, they they offered college basketball a long time ago, and so uh, my brother was uh, doing some stuff with me, and he's like, "Hey, can I enter a college basketball tournament?" I was like, "Yeah, go for it." He's like. So who do I pick? I'm like, well, uh, uh, go to Kempom and pick all the high usage players. And so he won like a $2 CBB tournament. This was back in like probably 2012 or 13. And that was like literally his process was he just picked high usage players. Um, and I imagine getting into it at that time, it probably could have been lucrative. And if I had really like gone into it and followed it, but I was, I was not doing DFS because if there's like an injury five minutes before tip off, I'm not running to adjust my lineup. I'm running to rerun yeah. a model and see if I can find a good bet or something. Yeah. But uh, but with the Avenue DFS, yeah, the player news that information is spread out so much faster now. Um, they're more reliable than Don Best by like infinitely. Um, yeah. I mean, Low pretty bar. much Don Best just follows like these DFS Twitter accounts now for, for I their mean, information. I like I bet college basketball every day of the season this year. I probably spent you know at least four hours every day looking at stuff. Oftentimes more. They would have injuries every day. It's like the guy they would be updating during the day. It'd be like you know an hour and a half to post, and there'd be like an injury alert 
It's some guy that literally has played zero minutes this season. <laughs> like, he might not even be on the team. Half the time, you know, you go to check out who the guy is, and it's like, this guy has zero points on the year. <laughs> their their injury stuff is just comically bad. It's never been Upgrading. useful. I've, like, maybe seen one in a thousand where it's been a player that's even relevant, you know? It's uh, they're, they're better for the pro sports, but for college basketball, it's... It's almost like worse to try to like look at what they have because yeah. then. And I just want to realize... say that because it is a terrible product, I'm very fortunate, me and Jack Andrews, that this product is the only one that exists. Thank the Lord that nothing better exists. What a crime so that I'd, would be. I'd have no idea what you're talking about, but I happened to see that tweet thread earlier. Um, yeah, that's and, the tweet uh, thread I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, he. But he made his argument in the final sentence. He, right. Did you he thought that? that it was better the devil that you knew. <laughs> and yeah. Sam, a previous guest, and I thought that that was a, a very odd argument for a human being to make. Um, but yeah, Don Best yeah. is terrible. Um, I assume it doesn't matter for NBA, though, right? Because how often do you know, or how often is there something, how many games a day is there a player that's like, make or miss that you're waiting on is it like maybe one a day or two a year two a day um i mean if you're relying on dom best then you are i'm saying you're not relying on dom like whatever you're doing like how many players a day is it this guy might play 20 minutes might play zero i'm kind of waiting on it something that's big uh i think it's gotten increasingly more because you have you have a lot more um you have a lot more people resting, so uh, people like they'll just make them questionable if they might possibly rest, even if they will or will not. Uh, the NBA has like tried to crack down on some of that reporting, but like some of it's been very fishy. I, I think this past season, like Minnesota, had a lot, a lot of very uh, dubious updates on players that were going to be playing or not playing. Um, so if anything, it's just gotten worse and more muddled. Gotcha. Um, uh, interesting. When you were betting NBA, did you overlap with the Donaghy stuff? I don't remember what year that was happening. That was, that was prior to me. Okay. Has there been uh, anything in the NBA since then where you're like, what is going on here? Whether it be with big moves getting faked or stuff getting bad at weird times. Has anything like weird in the market happened since then? Or cause I remember when that Donaghy stuff was happening, Haralabob's got like posts and stuff where he's like, he thought it was happening in advance or he thought it before the story broke. Was that like a one in a million crazy thing? I just, that story is so crazy that, that actually happened. I wonder if those sorts of things have well, been I cracked remember down reading... on or people are still trying to do it. Is there weird stuff that happens or do you think, players are i guess they all get paid so much money they can't be shaving points yeah they're, they're getting paid too much no yeah they're getting paid way too much that you don't have to worry about that um i i remember reading like stuff that he wrote or posted on that um because i guess a lot of the th- like his whole thing was that um he was betting and then there was a subset of plays where like he had no opinion on a game, but it had moved so far that he was then betting it because it had moved the opposite direction of what he thought. Right. So then he would then bet it. 
and those plays were performing so much worse because those were all the fixed Foster, not Foster, uh, Donahue games. Right. Um, gotcha. So he was just kind of uh, like fading stuff, and the steam was really good. <laughs> but like you would expect that he would have done a little bit better than he would have. So that was yeah, that was his whole uh, angle on that. Um, Scott Foster's still in the league, and he seems pretty shady. Uh, and like there's been some games that seem weird, but I. I haven't seen anything definitively where I just thought something weird was going on. Um, the only the only thing that really bothers me is there's some end games where like, coaches just do not optimize their chance of winning or they just give up in like a weird situation and you're sitting there with a bet. So you're obviously very keen to the, the differential at the end and you're just like, <laughs> why would you do that? That, that makes no sense logically, but in their mind, they just, they've either given up or they just want to keep fouling because they want to increase their win probability by 0.001. I'm not sure. Gotcha. So, uh, that, that I, I would say nothing beyond that. Do you think that I asked, um, Sam this when he came on, I think Corral has been one year into the Dallas Mavericks. Do you think that the decisions they make are good the in-game decisions, have you noticed a noticeable difference? And then kind of as a follow-up to that, let's say that we put a scoot in charge of an NBA team. Do you think that you would instantly be one of the 10 best, 5 best, 3 best? Not in terms of talent, but like how well you're managed and whatever you think a team has run well, Like, would you be able to implement that stuff? How low is the bar for success in professional NBA strategy? Okay, so we got three questions. There. So the first question is, uh, how well have they done? Um, so my strength, as far as watching and following, is much more like personnel stuff and like evaluating what I think of players and how good they are. And the in-game stuff, I admittedly am like just not as good at seeing the X's and O's or some of the end-game timeout strategy, minus some like really egregious stuff. Uh, as far as personnel, Dallas has done very well um, since he's gotten there. Um, they also had Luka Doncic fall in their lap, which is pretty pretty nice. Um, so I, yeah, I what was the deal think... with Luka Doncic? Because at the time of the draft, it it seemed to me that everyone with a everyone that I followed on Twitter, which I don't even know if have a brain is a high enough bar, it, it seemed like everyone was all in on Doncic. How does that, how did he fall as far as he did? Or is that so, one of those things that in retrospect, because it just worked out so well, it seems like that now, but at the time, there were smart people disagreeing about it. So Phoenix was one, and they took Aiton, who's out of U of A. So he was like local Arizona, and they already had Booker, who they're not quite sure, is he a point guard, is he a shooting guard? He's definitely a shooting guard. But I guess they thought, um, that their need was for a big man, and he was a local guy. So they took him. And then Sacramento had De'Aaron Fox, who's a point guard. And so I guess they thought because of need, they didn't need a point guard. So they took uh, Bagley out of Duke. And then Atlanta, I believe, was who was three. And they wanted Trey Young so Dallas traded up with them to take Doncic at three, if I'm correct. It sounds um, correct. 
And so it's like they they got the point guard they wanted, but they got some picks. They got another pick, and um, so they felt like that was that was they did okay there. Um, so that's how he fell to three, which and then the argument was he was playing against European players. And the whole joke was like, I don't know, how do you have done against Wake Forest? He he was only like the best player in Europe at 19, so I, I don't know. I don't know if he could have been able to compete with Southern Illinois. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so but from that answer, it sounds like there weren't really many smart people that thought well, him going I, to five was I, a good idea. So I don't follow whatever. a lot of the European like basketball, but like anything I read in like the stats basically showed that he was already the best player in Europe. And then if you accounted for his age, there's no way like he couldn't, he wouldn't have been the best available player to take number one. It didn't matter what position you like, just figure out how to make him work. He was, he's six, seven. So even if he's like your second point guard, but he can play off the ball or sometimes he plays on the ball, like he's a point guard and he's not six, one. So like, just figure out how to make that work. Like, that shouldn't be hard. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I I would say, in hindsight, like even more so, it looks silly. But I, there's lots of smart people and lots of information available at the time of the draft to suggest that not taking him was a very big mistake. Yeah, and I, and I think that's pretty fair to say, using only the information available at the time. Yeah. So then, is is that sort of a situation where Ralbob might have gotten lucky that these teams in front of him passed for whatever reasons they did and he just kind of got it and that's part of the success? Or has it been all the decisions have been mainly good, it's just that none of the decisions that an NBA manager makes really matter all that much? They're all kind of like small decisions. Uh, actually, the timeline of when he was hired by Dallas, I believe it was before the season but after the draft. So whether there was discussions for him to go there and he had a hand in that, I have no idea, but he was not technically there when they drafted him. Okay. But the only reason I say that is he expressed a lot of love publicly on Twitter for Donchitz. Right. Um, I do remember that as did um, Dean on draft, the NBA sorry. draft guy that I follow. Oh, um, he's, He's interesting. <laughs> He's uh, a character. <laughs> oh, um, maybe maybe that would be there. You go that would be the guy to book cross book. Okay. I don't even know if I bet, but I don't know if he does either. Um, yeah, the opinion the seems pretty strong. Is you have to wait five years to see if your stuff even comes to light, and I don't. That's that's a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. Um, so if you were running an NBA team right now. Let's say we put you in charge of like the 18th best team in the league. Within the first year you take over, if we expect them to be 18th best, can you get them to 13th? Can you get them to nothing? Can you get them to second? Like, what sort of what sort of value add do you think that an intelligent non-basketball player can add to an NBA team if they're given kind of full discretion? Which it's or not full discretion, but it seems like Harald has a lot of discretion in um, Dallas, especially well, given Cuban. Short of hiring Fezzik to uh, run my team <laughs> with me or call my plays. Um, 
I guess there's, I wouldn't pretend to know like all the responsibilities that are involved with being that role because I uh, imagine personalities and human beings and you have, like, I've never looked at players as far as like their payroll stuff. Like, like I value, I have how I value players and how good I think they are. And I never consider what they're getting paid. Right. Uh, that said, I, I think, I, I think I could probably do better than, a good amount of GMs as far as um, there seems to be a lot of moves that just make no sense to me and maybe there's other things I don't know that they're discussing or why why they had this player they have to pay this person this much um, so I, I can't pretend to know all of those intricacies um, but, but does I that matter in the NBA is there's not even like a salary cap right does... yeah, yeah there's a salary, yeah, there's oh, there a salary cap okay yeah um so those sorts of things still matter quite a lot, you would say. Uh, yeah, I feel like in the NFL, uh, it seems like people think those matter a ton. Um, and in the NBA, it matters is, maybe a slightly less, but still a lot. The problem with the NBA is that you, you need like as Daryl Morey says, you need to have like two superstars to really contend, and maybe like a third close to being a superstar. And like if you don't have that. Because there's only ten guys on the court at a time, and if you don't have that, or like in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback short of uh, like Trent Dilfer winning the Super Bowl with that Ravens, but that defense is ridiculous. So short, short of that, like you just can't win if you don't have that. Um, and I think that's why the Clippers went all in on getting uh, trading for Paul George and getting Kawhi Leonard, um, or the Lakers with LeBron and AD. Like if you don't have uh, the highest end talent. It's just going to be really hard to win when there's only ten guys on the court at a time. But that being said, to kind of answer your question in a roundabout way, um, that probably the most overrated or underrated players is because of their defense, and defense is just really hard to evaluate. So if you can do that better, then you are probably putting your team. Uh, in a place to be more successful and I if I see teams that sign players that I seem to value higher that are kind of less known guys that makes me think they know that they're doing something right or maybe it makes me think I'm doing something right either I don't know um, one of the one or the other gotcha um, because cool. like on offense you know who's scoring like it's very obvious to see this guy how can that not be defended, though? Or is it just that some basketball players are literally unstoppable? What do you, what do you mean by that? Like, you're saying you, you need to have the superstar. Like, there's some sort of binary level you pass at some point. Like, why can't you just get a bunch of really good players? Is it that there's some players on offense that are literally unstoppable? They're so good, and you need one of the people that's actually unstoppable? Why can you not uh, just have pretty good? Like, I don't understand why you would need multiple superstars it's because in the nba like with only 10 guys like lebron james like once they got to the playoffs he can turn into a point guard and he can dribble the ball at the court and literally run every single play he can like try to expose the worst defensive player on every single play in the playoffs until that team makes an adjustment so just having that one guy that is just so much better. 
but other people can't do that? Like, why can LeBron's just so good he can exploit any defense, whereas no one else can? There's, like, only two guys or three guys that can really exploit a defense? There's just only so many guys that are at that whatever ceiling. Uh, There's just, there's only, there's not that many that exist. So if you have one of those guys, that immediately puts you so far ahead. But I guess how do we uh, define those guys? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you? Who uh, are those guys? How do you know them? Um, based on their impact to the line when they're ruled <laughs> out, or the, I mean, like, who are the they right impact? now? How many are there right now in the NBA who are? The I mean, sort of where you where you player? draw that exact line is probably pretty tough to say. But well, you pick I mean, some if, spot. Okay, so if you look at who won last year? You had Kawhi Leonard on Toronto. Um, okay. But isn't a f- couple of years ago, was he considered a superstar? Or he, he was? Yeah. I mean, I don't follow the NBA app. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he he uh, he won the NBA Finals MVP with San Antonio when they beat Miami. And he basically defended LeBron James the entire finals and was pretty successful at it. Um and then he got hurt and basically sat out the whole year of San Antonio before getting traded to Toronto. So uh, maybe that was, you didn't hear about him as much gotcha. in that year. So he was um, so dominant defensively that he was able to neutralize the LeBron factor, something that no one as else far as could having, really do. Yes, to some extent. As far as having a very good offensive game. Because like when he first came in the league, he was probably more known for his defense, and then as he improved, he was given more and more offensive responsibility. So he became like the ultimate two-way player. Um. So there, yeah, I, there's just gotcha. I think it's a very steep curve as far as like as you go down the list of how good players are and what their impact is. So if you say there's a hundred players and ninety are right around zero, and then as you go up, like, the, the drop-off is very steep. So, uh, like, in soccer, where you have 22 people playing, um, to have the level of impact in a single game as a basketball player, I, without betting soccer, it's hard for me to say exactly, because you have, like, a Lionel Messi, but I... It's hard for me to think that like him missing uh, is probably a bad example because he's pretty good. But maybe the next year guys compared to some of the best NBA players, it's just uh, it's just a dramatic difference. And I think the the only other thing that's equatable is like the quarterback in the NFL um, or like a pitcher in a baseball game because they're throwing every single pitch for that team in that game. So it's just like the the uh, the value of a replacement is just huge. What sort of um, let's say that we made you the commissioner of basketball and you get to make some rule changes for next year and your goal is to have it be where you don't need a superstar to win. Where obviously having a superstar is preferable, but we what rules could we change that kind of negate this superstardom that's specific to the NBA that this necessity for a superstar. Um, if every team had the exact same 
salary cap, but there is no limits on what you could pay anybody, then someone is going to overpay for that superstar and try to fill out the rest of the roster with scrubs. Someone else is going to figure out what that value is and pay more competitively. Uh, I think... Hmm, I didn't work that very good. I think... Why is the... Do you know why that... Why is there a maximum contract in the NBA? Is that something that was added? Did the NBA start with max contract rules? That seems like an odd, a really odd rule, especially since we're describing how the NBA is the one sport where the, like a superstar can matter the most. It would be the one not, sport where you wouldn't want a max contract, yet it's the one sport where you have a max contract. I imagine there's a good reason or history why that is. I, I'm not sure. Gotcha. But okay. if you had a... There's no limit on what you can sign any players. I think your question suddenly becomes more val- valid. Like, why why can't there be a team with five really, really good players that are not quite at that top, but they're like that next level? And if you put all five together, could they win a title? Gotcha. Then I would say yes. That, that, that becomes really interesting because then a smart team, or you, you would see a team that's run very smart, Suddenly, they uh, they don't need that superstar to compete, and they become a much more interesting team because it uh, you're rewarded for being savvy and right. probably analytically driven and minded. And okay, interesting. Um, I guess that's what I was getting at earlier with this NBA salary cap. So there is a salary cap, but it's not the same as or it's not as binding or not as enforced. Because earlier you said there is a salary cap. But now there isn't. So I guess it's kind of like a midway point or something. Um, I'm not quite sure what I said, but there is a salary cap, but they also cap the amount that they pay like a single player. Oh, so everyone still has the exact same salaries for their whole team. It's just that you can't pay any one player more than 40% of your team salary or something. 30% or something around there. Yeah. That, that's okay. Correct. Gotcha. So every team is still spending around a hundred million or whatever the one hundred fifty, whatever the salary cap. Well, is. they they have a luxury tax where if you exceed it, you have to pay extra tax. So there's certain teams that try to avoid that, and then I think there's a uh, there's a bottom you have to hit as well. So you have to spend X amount. You can't you can't just go full tank mode and only pay out ten million in salary for the season. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um. Okay, cool. What do you want? We got. Let's do one more topic. What do you want to talk about? You want to do degen stories, gambling Twitter. You want to fire some shots or anything that's on your notes that you haven't talked about yet that you kind of wanted to. Um, we've gone through everything on my notes. Okay. Uh, I don't have very good degen stories because I've always been. What about gambling Twitter? You said you've met a few people from in real life. Who are the people you've met in real life, or anyone you have met in real life that you want to say you have, or? Is there anyone you're close to on gambling Twitter or you talk to every once in a while or every day or anything? Um, I've met some people from gambling Twitter in uh, uh, Vegas during uh, March Madness. Okay. So it's kind of like uh, a Twitter, Twitter group, like, hey, let's all meet up or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's been kind of going for a few years, and I always look forward to it, but then it didn't happen this year, which is kind of a shame. That's, uh, uh, that sucks. But... Uh, so some people with that. Um, it's not really much more with. Uh, it's not really much more there. Um, 
And then, yeah, there's not really any good degen stories because, like I said, I've been kind of a nit my whole life. (laughs) You were were doing, I mean, when you had the bookmaker account with 50 bucks and you're like betting, you know, risking 71 cents or something, aren't there minimum bets on bookmaker? (laughs) Do they not use those? I mean, whatever it was, I was, if like managing my bankroll, I I thought the min was like $10. That'd be pretty aggressive uh, betting. my $50 was my like my initial poker stars deposit. I had a little more in the bookmaker, but I I was oh, okay. probably I was probably close to the minimum bet for like way too long at the start. But that's that's how I approached it cuz it was yeah, it was uh I don't know, that's just how I always was, so. I assume you still uh, approach your betting like that where it's like here's my bankroll, here's the edge, I want to bet X on this game? Uh yeah, uh, I mean yeah, it's uh it's uh, a percentage of my bankroll, so it's very uh, Kelly criterion approach with trying to figure out what I think my edge is and trying to find the optimal amount and uh, being as aggressive as I can to grow the bankroll. Um, How much will it you gets be a betting? little more complicated with like having post-ups and credits and then uh, trying to figure out the different percentages on those credits. Um so that gets a little tricky because sometimes you're like, I'm just trying to get everything I can down on whatever game. And then, um, so it's more like I kind of evaluate it on a week to week basis to figure out, okay, where I'm at, how much am I betting? Is this, what I'm, is this a good amount? Um, so I guess I'm not as focused on a set amount as I used to be, but it's in the back of my mind. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so. Yeah. Are you ever, what are the like limits for the NBA market cycle? Like if I'm betting at 10 a.m. Central time, can I easily bet $20,000 on an NBA side, 50,000, 100,000? Like what's the amount that you can kind of easily get down? You'll move the market, maybe a little, maybe a lot, but you'll get your number. Like what is, let's say at 10 in the morning. Someone who's relatively well connected. Let's say I've been, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy how like not betting for uh, X amount of time. And like, I just completely just not even sure at the moment. Um, okay. uh, I'm trying to think in the morning, I think in the morning they have, I think bookmakers like 10 and two sides and totals. Uh, and then it goes up overnight. It's like a thousand and five hundred, but then, yeah, you're just moving the market on yourself. And that's not good. Uh, I guess, I mean, a lot of it depends on what kind of credit outs you have because that decreases your ability to get down without moving the market initially. But people see those, so there's a lot of uh, people looking at those accounts. So that's a whole process as well. I I don't know. I'd have to look. I was going to... Log into my bookmaker. I can see pending bets <laughs> and try to remember. It's like <laughs> okay, so, so, so okay, so maybe so some large time. amount. But how does it scale throughout the day? Is it like you can bet ten times as much, as much ten minutes before, or two times as much? much? I think it hits like twenty and five at game time for sides, and then uh, I think it's like twenty and five. Okay, your game time, and then you can hit. For, I mean, how aggressively are they moving? Let's say that you double click something on bookmaker. Eight minutes uh, before post, are they going to move the whole screen a half point or a point? Or, I mean, if you bet max, yeah, they'll move. They'll move a half point on sides, a full point on totals. Uh, 
bookmakers definitely like very uh, aggressive in their bookmaking as far as like sometimes they just don't care and they will move it right back or they'll just move the juice or they just don't move at all if they feel pretty strong on one side or the other. Um, and then as far as the other markets, like every other book, they just, they're just a bunch of copycats and they just, seems like you can manipulate those markets a little bit more versus bookmaker is like one of the only ones left that kind of does their own thing or actually has an opinion or might not care that you bet even if like you've been winning there. How is bet online in the NBA market? I feel like they've been pretty good in most stuff, um, especially in the last year or two in terms of like putting up good limits and good bets and stuff. Are they a factor uh, they have, in the NBA or not really? Uh, yeah, they have they have really good limits as well. Um, I actually haven't had a post up there in a long time. Uh, I had one a long time ago, and then I uh, well, there you go. See, I, I I busted my bet online account at one point and never reloaded, so <laughs> I, I I've lost a lot. Nice. Um, but then like the people I deal with to help me get down, like they they use a post up bet online, and so they're utilizing it. Um, but then I'm not also hitting it as well. So I'm not moving the market on people I'm dealing with as far as betting and getting down. Nice. Uh, but I haven't had a, actually a bet online in a while, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Maybe I should get one again. Um, but uh, it was flagged at one point. It was moving like for less than the max. So that wasn't great. Um, yeah. That, that probably had something to do with not like running to reload it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have anything else on. You want to wrap it up or anything else you want to talk about? Covered a lot, so thanks for having me. That was uh, uh, hopefully mostly coherent thoughts there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what the people have to say, the feedback, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah, it's nice to talk to uh, a legit top sports better, if you will. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it sounded like it for part, <laughs> portions of it. But. All right, cool. Um, Scoot, thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, we will talk to you later. Thanks for having me.